I hope this year is significant. He's inviting us to move from, from spectator, from voyeur to participant. Who am I and why am I here and where do I belong and where is this thing going? Is there anybody that doesn't hope that this next year is significant? All right, awesome. We're all on that same page. And so two questions. How does that happen and where does that even start? And the passage that Ralph read from, from 2 Peter is Peter's, um, it's a second letter to the church. And if you are not familiar with Peter, uh, then let me just give you a really brief intro to Simon Peter. Uh, Jesus, when he began his ministry, he called 12 men to come be followers, to be apprentices, to be students and followers. And one of those men was this brash, impulsive, goofy fisherman named Simon Peter, who quite frankly had a rough start as a Jesus follower. He was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. He was making bad decisions. Uh, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. But then after the resurrection, Jesus gave Peter his grace and his forgiveness. And he gave Peter his Holy Spirit, his indwelling presence and power. And this once bumbling fisherman became this rock which was awesome because Jesus had given him that nickname when back when he was a bumbling idiot, you know, ironically. But Jesus gave him that nickname, but Peter grew into, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, his nickname. And he became this, this solid rock and this gifted leader of the early church. And just before he was martyred in 68 AD, he wrote a couple of letters to the church and his second letter gives this amazing picture of what spiritual growth and maturity looks like. And it gives a frame for that picture to go in, which is this foundation and the starting point for us. And so we're going to spend the first two weeks of the semester in this passage. It's one of my favorite passages, if you are allowed to have favorites, um, because it just encapsulates not just what it means to have this foundation in Christ, but how to build on it, okay? Uh, if you're new to Christianity, I think there's something in this for you. If you are not new to Christianity, I think there is something in this for you. Uh, the last two verses that Ralph read, Peter says, I will remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory, okay? So I want to refresh your memory today. Um, first of all, where to start? Where to start? Uh, when I graduated from college, um, you know, a long time ago, uh, I, I moved to uh, Lafayette, Indiana, and I, I moved in my 1979 Ford Futura, which may be the ugliest car ever made, except for maybe an AMC Pacer, if you know what that looks like. Um, Futura was not good, but it had a spacious trunk, and so everything I owned fit into the back seat of my car and into the trunk. And then fast forward a few years, I got married, and we, had, um, we, we accumulated some children and some things, and so a dozen years or so ago, we were moving to our present house, 
And I realized that not everything would fit into the trunk of a car. And so we rented a moving van, which really isn't a van at all. It's a, it's a truck. It's a truck. And we had an option. We could sell our car in order to pay for the truck, um, a nice truck, a truck that actually had air conditioning and shock absorbers and looked pretty, or we could rent a U-Haul. <laughs> and so we opted for the U-Haul, like this 1977 Ford U-Haul. And this U-Haul had its issues. It, it looked a little and smelled a little and felt a little like a gas station bathroom, and that's not a, an exaggeration. It had like this cigarette burned foam oozing out of the seats, you know, and it had this kind of fine layer of grease on everything. And the outside, the exterior, looked like it had taken a detour off of a cliff. I mean, it had not just a couple of scratches. It had major dents, and it had what I'm pretty sure is parts of an animal stuck into the grill. And, and so I was just standing there in awe of this masterpiece of a truck. And, and the manager came out, and he hands me a clipboard. You know where this is going. He said, I want you to walk around the perimeter. Of, that's, a, that's his voice, I'm sure. I want you to walk around the perimeter of the truck, and I want you to mark down every dent or abrasion that you find so that we, when you come back and we return the truck, we can contrast and compare what it looks like to what it looks like now. Right? Where do you start? That's the feeling we get in a lot of different venues of our lives. It's like when you're talking about um, whether you're talking about needing to write a paper or whether you're talking about needing to get in shape or how to eat a cheesecake all in one setting. You know, it's like, where do, I, where do I start with this? And so spiritually, I think the same question applies. It's like, where do we start? It's easier to not start. Um, I, I think some of us, the, the fear of failure uh, paralyzes us. And so, so it, it, if we stay where we are, <laughs> if, I, if I never start, I can't fail, right? For some of us, um, I, I, I may not be happy with my life or, or where this is going, but this is what is comfortable. This is what I know. And so uh, it scares me to death to change. For, for some of us, we've been burned by the church. We've been burned by Christians. And so we choose to, to live more isolated, more a, autonomous. It's like I, I love God and all, but I don't really love his people so much. And and, and so we build walls to keep others at a safe distance. Or there is so much poverty, so much brokenness, so much injustice in the world that there isn't anything that I alone could possibly do. And so I will mm, rationalize my inaction. Or I, I know myself a little too well. And I know how little I really know. 
And so I have nothing really to offer you people or God or the world to make a difference. And so we're paralyzed by the thought of starting something new, of taking a risk, of extending ourselves beyond what is comfortable, of actually being transformed. And sometimes we settle for, for kind, of, kind of paddling around the, the shallow end instead of jumping into the depth of what God has for us. A friend of mine named Todd used to be on our staff, and he, he called it uh, voyeur Christianity, spectator Christianity. And there's a problem with that kind of life. It sucks. <laughs> it's not what God has for us. It's settling for so little when Jesus is offering so much, and he's, mo- he's inviting us to move from, from spectator, from voyeur, to participant. He's inviting us to move from from fear to faith, from scarcity to abundance. And that's what I want to talk to you really briefly about this morning with this passage, okay? So let's let's pray, and then let's look at 2 Peter 1. Again, thank you, Lord, for these people. Thank you for a few weeks of break, and I I do pray that that was a time of refreshment for us. and uh, Lord, as we, as we come into this new year and this new opportunity and this new resolve, um, we want to center that around what is true about you, what is true about us, what is true about this world that we live in. We want a foundation upon which to build. And so thank you that you give us that even in your word. And so I pray whether we've heard this a million times or whether this is brand new, that it will all feel brand new to us today. Sink it down deep in us. And we pray in Jesus. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's come back to this passage, the first part of this passage in Second Peter. Peter says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He said, you've received this faith. Those of you who are Jesus followers, you've received this faith not from your own righteousness, not from your own goodness, not through your own achievement, but through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That he has, the, the theological term is imputed his righteousness to us. He, is, he has given us his righteousness. That we are the righteousness of God. Say, I am the righteousness of God. Yeah. Let that sink in for a while. Grace and peace are yours in abundance. God isn't skimpy with his gifts. Grace and peace are yours in abundance. He is not holding out on you. He lavishes us with his love out of his abundance. The passage that Rick read in Colossians, that all things are his, that he created all things, but he controls and holds together all things. Everything belongs to him. And out of that, he gives the abundance of grace and peace. John 10, 
Jesus said, I didn't just come to give you life. I didn't come just to give you existence. I came to give you abundant life overflowing, generous. And this is how generous. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Man, there's a light in there. Through His divine power, he has given you everything. His divine power, the, the same power that spoke the universe into existence, the same power that, that calmed the storm, the same power that fed the multitude with a boy's lunch, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power, that power has given you everything you need. Ephesians 3, another well-worn passage. Can you, can you look at this with some fresh eyes? I pray that out of his glorious, his abundant, his never-ending riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established, foundational in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the abundant, the full measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Do you get this sense of God's abundance immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine according to his, say it, power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. His divine power has given us everything. Everything. No caveats, no fine print, no exceptions. Everything we need for life and for godliness. We were created in the image of God, but our sin has disfigured us. And so through his divine power, he reshapes and remolds and restores and redeems and renews us to look like who we were created to be through Christ. Reshaped to look like him. Through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's not book knowledge. It's not, will this be on the test knowledge? It's not, uh, can I forget it now kind of knowledge. It's not a transfer of information. It, the word actually means expanding, ever expanding, experiential, relational knowledge of God. The longer we work, I mean, the longer we walk with Christ, the more we pick up on his work, the more we pick up on his movements, the more we pick up on his mannerisms. His work in us is continual. And he says he's, he has called us. You are called. You, you are invited. Every single one of you. Isn't that cool? You have an invitation. You have a backstage pass to the glory of Jesus. 
He has invited you into relationship. Peter says that we are invited into the relationship by the glory and the goodness of Jesus. We are blown away. We are awestruck. We can't help but respond to his invitation because we've tasted and we've seen and we've felt his love and his grace and his power. And there is another cool angle on this word for called, kaleo. It's, It's to give a name to, to give a name to. He has renamed us. He's given us a fresh start. He's given us a fresh canvas by his own glory and by his goodness. And Peter says, through these, verse 4, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through those promises, you may participate. Not, Not your neighbor, Not the really, you know, holy people. You, you may participate. I may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Jesus made a ton of really awesome promises. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In the world, you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Tons of promises. But is one of the most incredible promises he made is that I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the encourager. I'm going to send the one who will teach you. I'm going to send the one who will encourage you. I'm going to send the one who will remind you everything that I've told you. Who will actually give you this same power that raised me from the dead. Ephesians 1 Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Not like animal seal. Ar, ar, yeah, not that kind of seal. But, you know, stamp. You were stamped the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. These promises enable us to participate in the divine nature to share in the divine nature. In the divine nature, here, here are a couple definitions if you like definitions, okay? The divine the nature, the word nature means the sum of properties and powers by which one person differs from another. So your nature compared to his nature is different, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Distinctive <laughs> peculiarities. You each have distinctive peculiarities. We won't point those out because that would be a little rude, you know. But, but God has made you distinctive, right? Yes, he has. The nature of things. So that's, that's, one, that's one definition of nature. But here's another definition of nature. It's a mode of feeling and acting which by long habit has become nature. Christ formed in us. That the more we internalize his love and the more we reflect him and the more we walk with him, we take on his nature. And that is God's heart for you. That's exactly how the Spirit works in us. When we accept Jesus as Lord, I don't know, most of you, I think at some point or another, have accepted Jesus as Lord. You said yes to Jesus and, and, uh, you know, Hopefully, baptism was a part of that. That's a scriptural deal. 
in some form or fashion, you prayed a prayer or you raised your hand or you came down the aisle or you were dunked in a tank. Or you, you said yes to Jesus. And the promise is that when you said yes to Jesus, you received his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit lives in us. And how he gives us everything we need for life is through relationship. It's not through a, a download, right? It's not through jumping through a lot of hoops and then you'll eventually get everything you need. No, this is what is true if you are in Christ and his spirit is in you. Is this, is this making sense? I'm, I'm giving you the reality of what is already true, past tense, in your life when you are in Jesus. It's through discipleship. It's the, the kind of discipleship that affirms our identity in Christ. It's the kind of discipleship that gives us his heart and compassion for the broken and for the poor. It's the kind of discipleship that gives us an urgency for the lost. It, it's the kind of discipleship that's not compartmentalized to go do your Sunday deal, but it, it's your whole life. It is the kind of discipleship that calls us into a, a life that gets us out of this safe kind of tide pool into the depths, into the fullness of Christ. Philippians 1, Paul says, In my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's another good promise. Jesus isn't going to leave you or forsake you. He's going he's to keep being with Salvation is the work of God that restores the world and us to wholeness. And we are in on it. We are in the middle of it. It starts with us, but then we get to actually partner with the work of God in this world. Experiential reality. That's what he's talking about. There's a lot of kind of false realities. There's a lot of virtual realities. This is the real deal. Colossians 2, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You have been given the fullness of Christ. In Jesus, all the fullness of God lives in flesh and blood. But you have been given the fullness of Christ. He's given us everything we need. He is our abundance. He is our sufficiency. We lack nothing. So what is the posture coming into a new year? I think for some of us, we tend to feel overwhelmed, right? Overwhelmed by everything there is to do. Overwhelmed by everything there is to know. 
If you are a student, you are, you are overwhelmed by everything there is to do, everything there is to know. If you are a working person out there uh, away from school, you, you are overwhelmed by everything there is to do, everything there is to know. Just in life in general, you're overwhelmed by everything there is to do, everything there is to know. Spiritually even, it's like the, the, the more I, I get into this Christianity thing, the, the more I, I realize how little I know. And, and I, can, I can, out of a good motivation, just want to know more. But there is so much to know. And even laying out teaching for a semester or for a year, I get so overwhelmed because there's so much, there's so much in this word that just is so. Yes. <laughs> exactly what I'm trying to say. It's so good. It's God's call to you. <laughs> so do we, do we go through the life of Christ or do we talk about the, the early church and the Holy Spirit and do we talk about spiritual gifts and do we talk about the Old Testament history stuff or do we talk about spiritual disciplines or do we talk about, you know, where this is all going, that Jesus is coming back or do we get into some really practical theology or really practical, practical just Christian living stuff out of the letters or it's like, where do we start? There's so much and here's the cool part. Jesus isn't calling you into a life of information. He's calling you into a transformative relationship that will just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep expanding and keep expanding and keep expanding. And going deeper and deeper and deeper. And some of us, for some of us, that just drives us crazy because we want to know now, right? We want to be fully formed, fully mature, fully everything now. And the truth is that you are, and yet we're not. The truth is that you belong, and yet you are increasingly belonging. The truth is that you've been given everything and yet there is a now and not yet nature, not just to the universe, but to you. <laughs> that God has given you everything you need and yet he is calling you into more and more revelation and maturity. Because it's relational, it's not information. Does that make sense? Everything is defined by the one thing. I think I talked about this first semester, but there's this really cool passage where uh, Jesus goes and visits his friends, Mary and Martha, in the little town of Bethany outside of Jerusalem. And Martha's just in the kitchen, you know, cooking up some good, good food. And Mary's not helping her. Mary is at the feet of Jesus, like literally, saying, tell me more. And then what happened? 
Oh, it's so good to see you. And Martha's like, Jesus, tell her to get her butt in the kitchen. And Jesus says, no, this is one thing. She's chosen the one thing. And so, so everything, everything that, that we long for and everything that, we, that there is to, to know and everything that there is to experience and everything that seems, seems to overwhelm us is really boils down to the one thing. And that is to know Jesus. To know him in an ever-expanding, relational, intimate way. Putting our trust and committing our life to the creator, the king, and the sustainer and the savior of the world. You have been called by the glory and goodness of God. And those he calls, he equips with everything that you need for life and godliness through Jesus. And our knowledge is experiential, it's firsthand, it's expanding, it's relational. And this is your foundation. This is the starting place. This is what God wants for his people. N.T. Wright wrote, all too often people think that religion or even Christian faith is about what God wants from us. Good behavior, renunciation of things that we like, a gritted teeth morality of forcing ourselves to behave unnaturally. He says that's a total caricature. This is what is true, that God has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness. This is a starter kit for all that we are to become. You've been adopted in his grace, hope, joy. All of it is yours already in abundance. He wants nothing less for you and me that we should come to share in his very own nature. So can we awake to what is real? Can we awake to truly what happens when Jesus takes up residence in your life? It is an, it's an all-in deal, an all-in commitment. I quote this from a friend of mine probably every year, but Jesus says, give me everything that you have, and I'll give you everything that I have, and we'll call it even. So that's the, that's the invitation. God has indeed called and chosen those who find themselves following Jesus, and Peter urges us to confirm that call. To, to make ourselves more sure, to be more and more cognizant of this truth and this reality. We don't need to convince God. He's already convinced about who you are in him. We need to let his spirit convince us and say yes to the invitation. That's our starting point. It defines, Eugene Peterson says, it defines how we live. If Christ is king, everything quite literally has to be reimagined, reconfigured, reoriented to a way of life that consists in an obedient following of Jesus, a total renovation of the imagination. And that starts now. Clean slate, new year, fresh start. A complete renovation of our imagination. And that comes through the 
receiving of this good invitation. So I want us to, uh, to have a time of communion this morning. And communion is a, a time, if you're new to our community, to our family, com- communion is something that Jesus gave us to do um, right before he was crucified on the cross. He was with his disciples, and he, they, were, they were at a meal. It was a, the Passover meal, which had all sorts of symbolism, because the Passover meal included um, a, a lamb, and Jesus said, I actually am the lamb. I am the sacrifice. I am the, the way to God. And, and so in the middle of the meal, he took the bread and he took the cup of wine. And he said, this is really an allegory. This is a, a metaphor, but it's, it's more than just a symbol. This is, this is my body. This is my blood, which is broken and spilled out for you. This is, this is life, and not just life, not just existence, but this is abundance. So communion is, is a celebration, is a remembrance, is a looking forward, but it is a, a, a meal of abundance, God's abundant love and care and compassion and grace and mercy for each and every one of us. So if you are a believer, we invite you to take part in this. And if you are uh, not yet a believer, then uh, my friend Rick says this really well, then would you take Jesus? Because that's what really the invitation is. Okay, so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the promises that are always yes in Jesus. We thank you for um, these promises that everything has already been given, past tense. We thank you that, Jesus, your, your sacrifice on the cross was a once and for all sacrifice. And and so we have life. We, we have, in, right in front of us, we have life. This is reality. Would you awaken us to that reality in such a profound way that it completely shapes and reorients and reframes our imagination, our actions, our thoughts, our fears, our pride, our anxieties, would you center us on what is really real? Thank you for your love, demonstrated most profoundly through the cross of Jesus. Thank you for the life that you have given us through his resurrection. Thank you for your spirit abiding and working within us. So we're just filled with gratitude today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.